Uh, awesome. Well, let's get into Genesis chapter 21. We're just pl- plodding along. Hope you're enjoying it. Because we're not halfway. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a pretty positive chapter uh, this week. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, let's read it all. And we'll, uh, we'll link these kind of stories together uh, as they build up kind of to 22, which is kind of, you know, obviously the climax of Abraham's narrative. Uh, let's start here. Genesis 21, starting at verse 1. It says, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight years old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and he was weaned. On the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I'll make the son of the slave into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skid of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulder and sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes Then she went off and sat down about a bowshot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in a desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife from him, for him from Egypt. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to me and the country where you now reside as a foreigner, the same kindness I have shown to you. Abraham said, I swear. Then Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. But Abimelech said, I don't know who has done this. You did not tell me, and I heard about it only today. So Abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a treaty. Abraham set apart seven ewe lambs from the flock, and Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs? You have set it apart by themselves. He replied, Accept these seven lambs from my hand as a witness that I dug this well. So that place was called Beersheba, because the two men swore an oath there. 
after the treaty had been made at Beersheba, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of the forces, returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the Eternal God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. Kind of a great, great little stories here. We've got three stories linked together. We'll uh, kind of use them as we guide to the text and draw some, uh, some connections between them. Uh, and uh, yeah, hopefully that'll be good. Let's have a prayer and we'll dig into it. Uh, Father, we, uh, you know, we thank you, you know, that, that, you know, even as Stefan and Karen shared, God, that, that we have you to trust in, that we have you to, to put our hope in, God. And, and we know that, you know, for, for vast, many, many chapters here as we've studied Genesis, God, uh, this moment has been an anticipation. Uh, and as we consider hope and, you know, the, the, the joy that hope can bring, uh, Father, we pray you help us, God. Help us to be, be, be a people uh, that, that follow Abraham's example and to trust in you and, and to root and establish and build and, you know, connect our hope to you and to you alone, God. Uh, we pray you help us and you guide us, that your spirit can, can open up the eyes of our hearts, God, that it can search us and show us ways, God, where we can trust in you deeper and deeper. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, it is a pretty cool chapter. We, look, we will look a little bit more at some of this, uh, Hagar and Ishmael, uh, next week when we look at, at, at Abraham and Isaac, because there's some great parallels there. Very much the, the, what, what Abraham is going to do with Isaac is kind of very similar to what uh, Hagar is forced to do with, with Ishmael, and there's some cool parallels with that. Uh, but, but, you know, even as, I, even as I prayed just then, and even as you read the text, hopefully there is this sense of it's, man, it's pretty positive. Yeah, Hagar gets exiled, but man, God hears the cries, and he, he rescues her, and he's got a plan for Ishmael. And, you know, since chapter 12, we've kind of been waiting for this moment. There's been great anticipation, uh, and it is about hope. And it's about hope fulfilled, and it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty positive overall. And, overall. and you think about hope, and it's such a powerful concept, one that, that runs throughout the Bible, one that, that hopefully... Uh, you know, we, 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 we think about and we pray about and we contemplate about because it is so much about, you know, such a big part of a life following God. You know, it's defined as to cherish a desire with anticipation, to want something to happen, to want something to be true. And here's this moment finally happened where Abraham and Sarah in their old age are going to have a child. Something they had cherished, something they had anticipated, something they had wanted to be true. They wanted to happen for a long, long time. And it's a, it's a time of great celebration for them. And there's lots of great quotes on hope. You know, even you know, Desmond Tutu, the, the South African uh, you know, archbishop, he said, Hope is being able to see that there is light despite all of the darkness. Being able to see that there is light despite all of the darkness. And you can see that with Abraham and Sarah groping in the darkness at times, trying to figure out how, how is this hope of a child going to be fulfilled, and, and it finally comes. That moment finally arrives. Dostoevsky, <laughs> can't say his name, Dostoevsky, uh, famous Russian writer, right? To live without hope is to cease to live. To live without hope is to cease to live. That it's an integral part uh, of, of not just a Christian or a religious life, but anybody's life. And there's lots of, bo- you know, if you've ever re- watched a movie or Netflix series or read a book, 
uh, on people who have survived uh, things like he has gone through. Uh, hope is usually the deciding factor of whether people survive. Time and time again, stories of, of immense suffering, it's, it is hope that enables people to continue to move forward. And, and, and you see in these quotes this, this double-sided nature of hope. Hope has tremendous power, right? It can give life, right? But if you don't have hope, it is soul crushing. I mean, if there is only darkness, if there is no light, I mean, that's a scary concept. Even Proverbs, Solomon captures this idea of the double nature, right? Uh, side of hope. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred, it makes the heart sick. Have you ever had that or ever experienced that? Have some hope, a dream, a, man, I hope this relationship works out. I hope this job comes through. I hope I get this house. I, I hope I, you know, whatever. I hope this person gets healthy and it doesn't happen. It crushes the soul. Yeah. It gives you a sickness in your soul that's very difficult to shake. But it's double-sided, isn't it? Right? Because a longing fulfilled, a hope fulfilled... It's a tree of life. I mean, it, it brings a bit of eternity into your life. It's an incredible, incredible thing. But even in this story, and again, it's, it's, this chapter is immensely positive, but there is always this, this lurking warning when we think about hope. Now, hope, hope is powerful, but it has to be handled correctly. It has to be managed. It has to be stewarded. Because a lot of times we put our hope in the wrong thing as Solomon is talking about. And we end up with soul sickness. You know, and so we'll look at these three sequential stories that are, that are linked in a variety of ways. And we'll talk about hope. But we'll talk about the double nature of hope along the way, right? Uh, we'll talk about the delight of hope. That, that, that incredible moment for Abraham and Sarah. But we'll talk about the distress of hope. Because Abraham for sure had hopes for his family, even his wider family, uh, and, and it's not going to play out how he thought it was going to play out. But we'll also talk and close out with this idea of the dimension of hope. Amen? So let's look at this first one, this delight of hope. Here, here's Abraham and Sarah's Facebook picture that they put up, uh, welcoming their, 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 their new baby. Uh, I mean, it, it would have it been crazy to see. I mean, 100 years old I don't know. I, I'm, I'm 41. I know you're all shocked. Um, yeah, 25 at least. I did, when I was in America, I did get carded. Right? America, the legal drinking age is, is 21, uh, and I got carded, and I was, you know. Part of me was happy because I thought, man, well, I thought, one, is she blind? And then, but yeah, I was kind of like, you, you know, what's wrong with you? And then she was like, no, no, like, you need to go get your ID. And I didn't have my ID. It's in, in the car. And, and I was like, can I just take my hat off? Because I was wearing a hat. And as soon as she saw my bald head, it was like, no problem. That was all I needed. That was my ID. I don't know. Abraham and Sarah, it would have been crazy to see them. Right? It would have been crazy to see them. Uh, and it would have been very exhausting for them as well, I imagine. Uh, you know, but, but you think about that moment for them. And I, the Bible in typical fashion, right? I mean, it's just, it, it undersells stuff sometimes. I mean, really, the, the story has been building to this moment, and what we get is, is the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Just so matter of fact. But it's, it's an incredible thing, and it, it did. It brought them incredible joy. The long way to birth finally arrives. The, the, the years, the decades of anticipation 
are finally over. They have the kid. They had hoped for that moment and it finally arrived. For sure, words would struggle to sum up the emotions they would have felt at that time. If you've, if you've ever had a child, you, you know that feeling uh, of life entering the world. And you know everything changes. You know, I've seen people who, who, who have gone from you know, an atheistic viewpoint, having a child come into the world and surely there's a God. It's an incredible thing to see and to witness, and even more so for them in, in, in terms of their age. You know, and, and Sarah tries to, to capture it a little bit there in verses 6 to 7. You know, Isaac's name means you know, he brings laughter or he laughs. Uh, and so there's kind of a play on, on, on that concept there, in, 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 or the Hebrew words there in 6 and 7, right? Sarah says, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. I mean, laughter is a beautiful thing, of joy, of, of celebration, and, and contagious laughter even more so. And that's what, that's what their house is like. That's what their life is like in that moment. And there's an interesting thing she says there, right, as, as she continues on. Uh, in verse 7, it says, and she added, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. It's a curious question that Sarah poses there. Now we as the reader have already heard the answer before she even poses the question. Which again is probably intentional. Trying to, to highlight. And, and even as we read the question. They just said that in verses 1 and 2. It's, a, it's an intentional literary device to again focus in on. Well how has that happened? It's God. It's God that's accomplished it. And verses 1 and 2 hammer that point home, right? Who would have said, she asked that question, first half of verse 1, the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. Second half of verse 1, the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. First half of verse 2, at the very time as God had promised. Three times in the beginning of the chapter, in the beginning of the story, we are reminded that what is happening is happening because God said it would happen. That for them it was a celebration, an unexpected thing, but for God it was, no, no, I said it, and therefore it will happen. God promised it, and so it was fulfilled. The emphasis of the answer to her question is God. God was always in control of Abraham and Sarah's life. God had given them the hope of having a child and the promises he had given, and he had arranged a time for that to take place. And it was always going to be fulfilled. But of course, as we went through the, the chapters in between chapter 12 and, and here in chapter 21, uh, there were many times where Abraham and even Sarah, you could see them scrambling. They had this hope, and that hope was from God, and they were trying to obey God and honor God, but man, it wasn't, it wasn't playing out. It wasn't happening. It wasn't coming to fruition as, as they thought. And there were probably many times in that 25-year period where their hearts felt sick. I mean, think about Sarah making a decision, to, hey, Abraham, take, take, take my slave and sleep with her. You don't make that kind of decision unless your soul is just flooded with grief and hopelessness. And, and, it's the choice you made. And the ripple effects continue even to this day. 
Even Sarah laughing, you know, back, you know, when she was told in nine months' time she'll have a child there in chapter 18. You know, you could argue that it was, it was joyful, uh, but there's a pretty good argument that it was just sheer skepticism. I mean, 24, 23 years at that point of waiting, this time next year you'll have a child. She laughs. That's probably a reflection of the hopelessness, right, of doubt. You know, and those two things, those two scenarios that, that, that come along the way in the narrative, that, they come from this lie that Sarah and Abraham probably bought into, and I think we often buy into. And it puts us on the end of the proverb of, you know, the hope deferred makes the heart sick. Because we have this hope, but we think that God should work out that hope. And even that God-given hope in our own timetable. And this story is like a punch in the gut when you think about that. Because God's timetable is, is long. It's 25 years for them. That's a scary and sobering reality. But I think a lot of times that does happen. We, we get these hopes and we read the Bible and we think, okay, if I follow God, then, then, then this will work out and everything will work out. And, and it doesn't. But maybe it will eventually. But the, the, the test and, and the stress of the reality that the God who fulfills hopes works on a vastly different timetable than us, is challenging. And if we want to make sure we're people who fall on the right side of that proverb, that longing fulfilled is a tree of life, we've, we've got to understand that, that the timetable by which God works is not our timetable. And the stories of the patriarchs, not just the, the 25 wait year period to have a child, that the story of the patriarchs is not just about decades. And it's, and it's, it's, it's generations. I mean, many times in the start of Genesis, we read you know, Genesis 11, which warns us that, that a vast majority of those who set their hope on God and followed him by faith didn't receive the things that had been promised to them in their lifetime. And the writer of Hebrews says it's only with us on who the fulfillment of the ages has arrived that the, 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 the fullness of those promises are begun to be realized. And that's, that's millennia, guys. That's not decades. It's not centuries. It's millennia. It's thousands of years. But a lot of time, our, 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 our longings are not fulfilled and our hope makes our hearts sick. Because we have too narrow of a time frame that we're looking at. We've got to step back and realize that the light of hope can come, but it may not come this side of eternity. And that's a challenging thing. And we've got to remember and hold on to, because so many of the temptations we face, right? I mean, two of the big kind of errors of, of decision that Abraham and Sarah make hinge on that time frame line. Many of the temptations and sins we fall into as Christians, uh, you know, we, they come about because we begin to believe lies concerning the time frame. Right? I mean, one of the clearest examples of this is, is, is Matthew 4, when Jesus is tested in the wilderness by Satan. Everything Satan offers, Jesus will have with time. But what does Satan offer? He offers it now. 
And a lot of times we set our hearts on the immediate things. And we, and we look for the immediate things. And then we wonder why we find our hearts sick. We've got to learn from the story of Abraham and Sarah that the delight of hope will come, but it will come only in God's time frame. Secondly, and a little bit surprisingly, I mean, there is a blessing here in the distress of hope. The distress of hope. I mean, think about these two stories of of the birth of Isaac and his name, meaning, you know, he will bring laughter or or we will laugh, you know, and and that of, of, you know, most commentators think, you know, age three, uh, he was weaned, no longer feeding off mom, Uh, Abraham throws a party, uh, and, and you get this scene there, verse nine, but Sarah saw that the son, Ishmael, whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham, was a mocking. Who, who's the object of lots of entire books written uh, trying to debate this topic of, is he mocking Isaac? Right? Is it a teenage boy kind of playing around with a, with a three-year-old having fun? Is it just kind of innocent? Is it nothing? Is it something more sinister? Right? But whatever it is, Sarah sees it, but these two stories are purposely linked together by that common theme of laughter. Right? You guys see that? You know, and like I said, the questions of whether Ishmael, whatever Ishmael was doing, uh, whether he was mocking Abraham, whether he was mocking Isaac, uh, Sarah saw something that prompted a very distressing turn of events. You know, we know it probably most likely was negative. If you read Galatians 4.29, uh, Paul talks about that, that uh, what was happening in that moment was Ishmael persecuting Isaac. All right? uh, so maybe, maybe don't be too hard on Sarah. Uh, but, but Sarah, nonetheless, sees something. Whether it was mocking of Abraham, whether it was mocking of Isaac. Uh, other people think it was just kind of maybe in her own head. This fear of, hey, here's a teenage boy in my household playing with a three-year-old. You know, culturally, the oldest will receive the inheritance. And so maybe she looked at that scenario and thought, man, Isaac's toast in the long run. Ishmael's going to crush him. And the age gap is too big, and, and maybe fear crept in. Maybe, maybe that happened, but whatever it was, there, there was this hope, and it was a joyous, joyous moment, right? I mean, the child is, has moved out of infancy and is you know, more likely to survive and, and prosper. And it, it, is, it is a great feast, as they say. But it begins to be distressing. Stress in what Sarah saw, distressing solution given to Abraham. You know, D.A. Carson in his commentary on, on this, this uh, section here, you know, says that, that that phrase there in verse 11, the matter distressed Abraham greatly, uh, is too weak. It's the same word that's used, if you remember when we studied 1 Samuel, uh, of, of Hannah as she, as she, you know, was bearing the distress emotion she experienced because of that scenario. You know, maybe Abraham had this great hope of a big happy family. Polygamy in the Old Testament never goes well. And maybe that reality is being shattered for Abraham as he you know, had this viewpoint of you know, both wives happy, both boys playing together, life is good, and in that moment it is shattered. It is stressed. It is tested. That, that vision of, only having, of having a happy family lasted at the most three years. And to, into exile, Hagar and Ishmael went. A repeat in many ways of what happened in chapter 16. But this time it's worse. Because it's not just Hagar. And it's not temporary. 
It's Ishmael and Hagar, and it's permanent. You know, we'll dig into this a little bit more in, uh, next week as we look at some of the parallels, but, but kid, it's remarkable, even, even with that, that challenging decision that Abraham makes, we see the, the humility and the obedience from him. Verse 14, early in the morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. Difficult, difficult moment. One that, again, he hadn't, he'd hoped would never happen, but yet here it is. And yet we see him faithfully obeying. And you think for, for Hagar and the hopes she would have had, and even Ishmael, the hopes he would have had, would have begun to evaporate as they wandered in the desert. And it's a bleak moment in a pr- pretty happy section of Scripture. Wandered in the desert, running out of water, running out of food. She lays her teenage son under a bush and goes and lays under a tree herself, waiting to die. It's pretty dark. Maybe distress is too weak of a word. Maybe it's more like despair. But even those times are a good thing about it. Because all of their hopes that were perhaps not rooted in God's plan began to be shaken and they could properly place them. And as God brought them low and humbled them in many ways, he began to shatter another lie that they were feeling. The lie that God promises me a comfortable life. That God promises me health. He promises me prosperity. He promises me parking spots on demand. We, we can buy into this idea. And it's so easy to begin to think that way of, man, I do this, I do this, surely God would bless me with this, and man, okay, now I'm following God, life should be easy, but it isn't. It's challenging. But that lie began to be shattered. But nonetheless, nonetheless God rescued them. In verse, verse 17, two times we're told that God heard. God heard. God reminding Hagar, hey, I hear the cry of the boy. It's an interesting thing because in the previous exile, she, you know, Michelle made this point to me the other day. We were talking about this, um, that, that uh, it, it's the only time in the Bible where someone actually gives God a name in the previous situation there with Hagar, right? She calls him the God who sees, right? And here he comes and he reassures her, I hear. You know, it's God personif- you know, taking on these personifications to try to help her grasp, hey, I'm with you. I'm with you. Times are hard. You're in the desert. You think death is at your door, but, but even there, I am with you. And the God who she called that helps her, that, that sees, now helps her to see a spring of water, and they begin to rebuild their life. But even as they begin to rebuild that life, it's for sure not how they hoped it would be. I mean, they're living in the desert. Seem to be all alone, kind of like that wasteland that, that Stefan and Karen were sharing about. All alone, she has to go to Egypt, uh, get a wife, bring her back. I mean, you know, it's a, diff- it's a different, different way than for sure all of them. Abraham, Hagar, Ishmael thought it would play out, but it's good. Even the stress is good because it shakes us and it shakes our foundations. And it reminds us that we're not in control and it's not about our comfort and our, and our health even, that it's about God accomplishing his plan. Third and lastly here, we see the dimension of hope. 
the dimension of hope. You know, this it's kind of an interesting, you know, reappearance of Abimelech who's not really a major character. Uh, but we obviously talked a fair bit about him last week. And then he's, it's just kind of inserted in here, but it is still linked. You know, it's linked by, you know, 20, you know the, the middle story of Hagar and Ishmael being sent away uh, is all about water. And then the, the, the dispute here is all about a well. All right? So the stories, again, are, are meant to be there, meant to be together. Uh, you know, and, and, and it's an interesting story. Uh, it, it's the naming of Beersheba. It, it, it's, it's, it's about this treaty that Abimelech and Abraham enter into, uh, you know, and they exchange some lambs, and that's where the, the, the meaning of the word Beersheba comes from. But, but what's very interesting is this last verse here. In, down there in verse 33. It says there in verse 33, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba. And there he called on the name of the Lord, the eternal God. It's an interesting verse, and it's just kind of randomly in there. And, you know, it's an end to the, 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 the two previous and, and itself narrative stories. And it's, it just kind of it struck out to me as I began to read it. And you begin to think, well, what, what is he doing? What is, why are we given this detail? Why is he planting a tree? What is this all about? How does this wrap up this story? How does this connect in? You know, it's an interesting thing. And so I got on Google, because that's what you do, right? Because uh, I, I thought, man, I know a lot about trees and tamarisk tree. I don't know anything about a tamarisk tree. So let me start researching tamarisk trees. And they're really cool trees. And then I looked into trying to get a tamarisk tree. And then I found they're unfortunately banned in Western Australia. So then I got kind of discouraged because I did want a you know, tamarisk tree. But that's hope deferred. And it makes your heart sick. And, you know, but the longing is a tree of life. And so I kept digging on Google. Uh, and, and, and lo and behold, the, the university I attended for undergraduate uh, you know, uh, studies in America for some reason, had an entire page on Bible and tamarisk trees. Very random. I didn't remember seeing any Bible classes on the, the course syllabus, but nonetheless, you know, tamarisk is an interesting tree, but one of the main things they said about the tamarisk tree is you don't plant one of those for yourself. They're super slow growing, as most desert trees would be, right? Right? Just like kind of our grass trees, right? When you see a grass tree that's taller than you, you know for sure it's way older than you. But there's something very interesting about that. There's something very interesting about it. And even the discussion that, you know, the argument that Abraham and Abimelech have a little bit, you know, it's about a well, and, you know, Abimelech, hey, make some promises that you won't, you know, you're not going to deceive me anymore, and we're going to be a treaty, uh, you know. And, and, but even as Abimelech does that, he says, not just me, but my descendants. Right? And Abraham, as he plants a tree, again, it's not just about Abraham. It's a slow-growing tree. It's about his descendants. And even as he talks about God, what does he call God? He emphasizes that he is the eternal God. And there's this sense that, that, that both of these guys, Abimelech and Abraham, as they're having this discussion and making choices and making decisions and entering into trees, they have a perspective that we often do not have today. And that's that it's not all about us. That our lives, my life, your life, you may think you're the center of it, but you very well may not be. And for our hyper-individualistic culture and society, that's a sobering reality. 
Because so much of our world says, hey, it's all about you. It's all about what you want. It's all about your happiness, your fulfillment, your success, you getting what you want. And that's a lie. And that's a lie that infects our hope. Because we end up hoping for things that are really just all about us. I mean, really, step back, put on Abraham's sandals, put on Sarah's sandals. Would you actually have been satisfied? I mean, the promise was for children as numerous as the stars in the sky. As numerous as the sand on the seashore. And you're stinking 100 years old and you got one kid and one half kid. How many of us would really think, yeah, that's what I'm talking about, God. You fulfilled your promise. Big happy family. Or how many of us would think, man, only child. Only one. But that's probably a reflection of, of where we're at. And what dominates our thinking. And what dominates our prayers. Because we believe this lie that life is all about me. And so our prayers and our hopes end up infected with that lie. And so we, our prayers are dominated by things that are, that are really all about us. And our choices and our decisions and the things that bring us joy. And that we long for and that we look to to give us life all end up centered around us. And it's no surprise that we live in a world that has the highest suicide rate of any generation ever. Because what we're drinking will never satisfy us. And the ancients, the patriarchs, they understood something that we have to grasp. Life is not all about us. That's not all about our narrow window of existence. That, 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 that reality of the rebuke that James gives of, hey, you're, you're, we're a mist. We're, we're a vapor that is here and gone. And that God loves you, yes, but you're not the end game of his grand plan. You are simply a piece of a puzzle. And that may shatter your ego, but man, maybe our egos need to be shattered. And maybe we'll start actually hoping and longing for and praying for and living for things that are so much greater than our own lives. And then we'll begin to walk like the patriarchs walked. Then we'll begin to, to open up our lives to be used by a God who is not all about you. Again, it's not diminishing how he feels towards each individual. But man, his scope, his dimension of operation is way bigger than just here and now. Yes, he is at work in the here and the now, but his plan transcends that so, so much. And hope reminds us of that. Because our ultimate hope, every ultimate hope that all of us should have as Christians is purely for the age to come. It's of things that are eternal, not temporary. And that is meant to expand the dimension of our lives and our perspective and how we go about life. As you leave today, I encourage you to think about hope. And think about the power of hope. That as Solomon says, it can be a tree of life. Hoping for the right things and then being fulfilled, man, it can bring great life to your life. It can bring great fulfillment and great joy and great happiness. But hoping in the wrong things will crush your soul. 
But there is tremendous delight, but man, there is the distress that hope brings at times as we center it on the wrong things. But as we figure out the right things, one of the ways to tell the right things is to make sure it's operating by God's dimension, which is the God of the eternal God. The one who operates by generations and exists outside of time. Let's pray to that God and be a people that cast the, the anchor of our hope into eternity. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we, uh, you know, we thank you for, obviously, for you know, Abraham and, and Sarah wrestling with you, God. You know, we know as we've gone along with them on this journey, God, of, of your promises and them not being fulfilled, God, that, that it's been a challenge in the purification process of their hope, God. We pray, God, you help us to appreciate the power of hope. How it can truly be a light in a world of darkness, God. And that it can bring us great joy and great delight, God. But, but Father, we know that at the same time, we, we often hope and put our hope in wrong things. And we build them on wrong people. Father, help us to be a people that, that trust in you and that, that build our hope in you, the eternal God. Expand the dimension of what we hope for, God. Help us to learn to see life and to filter life and to navigate life, not, not from the perspective of what's best for me. Not, not from the perspective of, of what brings me comfort and peace. But step back and look at generations Look at the, the perspective of eternity. Allow that light to shine into our lives. Father, we know that, that when we begin to, to, to hope like that and live like that, we're beginning to walk as so many did before us, God. To walk in a way that pleases you and honors you, God. We pray you help us, God. It is a scary prayer to, prayer to pray, God, but we do pray that, that you distress us, God, if we put our hope in the wrong things. Help us, God, sift our hearts, sift our minds, and guide us on the path that finds you. We thank you so much that you pour out grace and mercy and forgiveness on us on this journey. Continue, God, to help us and to walk with us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Let's stand together and sing.